Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. Good evening and welcome to The Parent Show on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam with Dave Neal, Cathy Weston and Lydia Elkoury. This week, we're out interviewing two local key figures about daily life during the coronavirus crisis. First, Lydia catches up with our local MP, Daisy Cooper. Then, Cathy talks to a local head teacher, David Bullock, about daily life in his school on Slow St Audrey's in Hatfield. So here's Daisy Cooper MP talking to Lydia. So on the parents show this week, we have um, two very important guests here to speak with us, specifically on the coronavirus, which has really just turned our world upside down. I'm sure you all know St. Albans and District MP Daisy Cooper. She's been in office for just a few months, and I bet you've been following her updates on social media and giving her insight into the daily workings. Of, of how it is to be an MP and a new MP at that into Westminster. But then since then, our world has turned upside down and we're all adapting to this new reality that is the coronavirus. So we're really looking forward to talking to Daisy about the latest information and development from Westminster and how it's going to impact on St Albans' life. So Daisy Cooper, MP, you're very welcome on The Parents Show this evening. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing okay, thank you. It's really nice to talk to you. So thank you for having me on the show. It's our pleasure, our pleasure. So congratulations, you're a brand new MP and how are you finding life? (laughs) Well, as you say, um, I am brand new. It's only been three and a half months. um, And on the one hand, it feels like it's all whiz by, but on the other hand, it feels like a huge amount has happened. And, um, you know, everything I've learned about how Parliament works has suddenly been turned on its head because I think like so many other people, I'm now working from home. Um, So, uh, yeah, it feels quite different. Yeah, we'd like to talk to you about COVID-19 because obviously you're a new MP and then the biggest medical and um, public health crisis that the UK has experienced since the Second World War, maybe further back, has hit us. Can you tell St Albans residents um, abroad and uh, who are stranded abroad what they can do and what kind of support there is out there? Absolutely. So, I mean, my team has been helping uh, people from St Albans who have been stranded all over the world. Um, And in some cases, it's simply been a case of them contacting us because they're not quite sure how they can get back. They're not quite sure if their flights are still running. Um, And then they've managed to confirm that with an airline and they've managed to get home okay. So those have been some of the easier cases. But we've got some other cases which are still ongoing at the moment where people have contacted us in the first instance. We've then made contact with them. Um, We have made sure we've been giving them contact all around the clock. We're keeping them up to date with information as and when we get it. Um, But it is a very confusing and scary picture for some people. There are some countries where commercial flights are still operating. There are some countries where actually commercial flights have been completely grounded. Um, It's taken about 10 days or so, but the government has finally committed to actually putting on charter flights to um, get people back if commercial flights aren't uh, aren't actually flying. Um, But we're still awaiting details of when those flights are going to be. So so for some of the people who are maybe short on money or short on medication, we're escalating those cases um, right to the heart of government. And I've been lobbying um, cabinet ministers uh, every single day. 
Fantastic. I mean, I have to say, I wouldn't have known that we could reach out to our MP for in, in such a situation. So it's great people have reached out to you and that you can provide that kind of support. Yeah, well, we've been very happy to help. And what we've noticed is a lot of um, people, a lot, a lot of Brits abroad have found each other. So they've been setting up WhatsApp groups or Facebook groups. Um, and we had this in Peru where it was sort of um, a few individuals who were on their own, but also a couple of couples and families were in Peru. And a lot of different Brits ended up getting um, uh, getting in touch or meeting each other either in airports or in hospitals or wherever they were. Um, and then they started telling their MPs that they were in a WhatsApp group. And then the MPs started sharing that information amongst themselves to get their constituents into this group so that actually it made it easier within the country for the embassy to communicate say 300 Brits in a WhatsApp group rather than having to contact 300 people individually so there's been this kind of huge effort um, by um, people themselves who are abroad as well as amongst MPs to get people in contact to get their information and then try and prioritize those who really need to get home. That's amazing gosh what a concerted effort hey. (laughs) <laughs> it feels I mean, like <laughs> it's so impressive it really is and and I'm sure it means a huge amount of people who have family in St Albans who are you know desperate to hear about their their loved ones abroad um so Daisy can you talk to us a little bit about people who might be the victim of domestic abuse and what they can do I'm really glad you've asked me about this, actually, Lydia, because it's something that isn't really picked up that much uh, in the media. Um, We know that there is evidence which shows that when there is some kind of pandemic or when people are asked to stay at home, domestic violence does tend to increase, sadly. Um, And I guess I've got one really clear message to people who are victims of domestic violence. And that is that even though the public health advice is to stay at home, domestic violence can and should leave their home if they are fleeing to safety. So they absolutely can leave their home if it's to get somewhere that's safer. Now, um, because we know that the likelihood of domestic violence and the instances of it are going to increase, our local authority is planning for that. Um, I've also spoken to a local women's refuge um, about their needs to make sure that they can stay open and provide the help that for any women or uh, families that need to self-isolate. So it is really important that anybody who needs help does uh, look for help. Um, there is, of course, a, a national free 24-hour national domestic abuse helpline for, for women and children. And there's a separate one for male domestic violence victims as well. So don't stay where you are. Don't assume that that social distancing means that you cannot leave your house and get in touch with the helpline. That's right. Great. Okay. And so some people are worried about food price hikes. What what information do you have about that, Daisy? Yes, well, there's only been, I've only had two reports of um, suspected sort of price hikes here in St Albans, and there may be some sort of elsewhere. But as we know, when sort of people tend to shop more and more and more, um, there are those who can sort of push prices up. So I've only had sort of one report about a fruit and veg supplier and another about a local meat shop. Um, and it's genuinely hard to know whether some suppliers are putting up their costs and passing those costs on to the shops or whether there are just some people who are being a little bit naughty and perhaps a bit opportunistic. Um, So in the first instance, I would just encourage people to sort of challenge gently if the prices do look completely unreasonable. Um, But if they're worried, they can report report these instances to trading standards who can then go and investigate and find out what's going on. Great. Okay. Very valuable advice. And renters, landlords, moving a house, what's the latest guidance? 
Yeah, so I, I received a lot of questions about this because, as you might imagine, when people are worried about being told they've got to stay at home, it's not easy for those who are actually about to move house. So there is there is um, government advice for renters, landlords and those moving house. I think, in short, the key thing is that anybody who is renting um, is not going to get kicked out of their house. Um, that's, the, that's the kind of main take-home message. Now, the way the government is going to achieve this or is proposing to achieve it is that um, all landlords, if they want to try and um, uh, kick out some people who are renting, then they have to give them three months notice um, that they go that they're going to intend to seek possession. So that basically means they can't even serve any notice um, really during this time. So um, landlords can only they can't apply to start the court process until this three month period is up. So that's a really helpful thing to protect renters. If anybody is in the process of sort of um, uh, uh, an ongoing housing possession so perhaps if somebody has been declared they're about to become homeless or something um, then if there is already that possession action in place then courts can suspend those uh, possession actions so that people are not going to get evicted over the next three months um, and then for those who are who are moving house well it's a tricky one and there's no size that fits all Basically, um, it really depends on a few things, like the vulnerability of the people who are involved in moving. Uh, it depends on the removal firms. It depends on how essential the move is. And of course, what stage of the process you're at. So the general advice, which you have to then sort of apply a bit of common sense to, is that if you can delay your house move, then you should delay your house move. If you've already exchanged, but you haven't completed then you should try and work together with the other sort of buyers and sellers in the chain to see if you can delay. If you can't agree a delay uh, or there's sort of unavoidable reasons um, to do with the contract, then you must follow all the social distancing and hygiene rules. And I think if you're in a situation where there is a long chain and there's anybody in that chain who either has symptoms, is self-isolating or is shielding from the virus, um, then I would just really plead with anybody to just uh, think about those individuals in particular and do what they can to uh, to help them out. Okay, that's really constructive advice. Um, there's a topic that none of us want to deal with, Daisy, but obviously people are going to have to deal with burials and cremations um, as unfortunately the death toll is rising all the time. What What is the current current advice or what's the situation well it's a very difficult subject isn't it for a lot of people and um, as you say the reality is that we are expecting an increase in death and we're seeing it already um i guess the first thing i would say is that losing a loved one is is not only sad and distressing anyway but you know funerals and cremations are really important as a way to sort of start the grieving process and they can be incredibly personal um and i'm, I'm going to be honest with you this is going to be incredibly tough it's going to be incredibly tough for those who lose a loved one, particularly if they actually can't or they're not allowed to attend the, the, the burial or cremation. Um, and it will also be tough if they can attend, but they can't have any physical contact and have to have to maintain social distancing with other people who do attend uh, if they're outside of their household. So it is going to be really, really tough. So there's a few few points I would raise, I guess. The first is that I had a number of people contact me, particularly those from faith communities who were worried that the government was going to force everybody to be cremated. And of course, that goes against the wishes of some people in, in um, uh, of, of faith in particular. So the emergency legislation that MPs uh, voted through in Parliament has been amended to make sure that um, local or national authorities do have to have due regard to the wishes 
um, of those, particularly in accordance with people's religious um, beliefs. Um, and so that's really, really important, I think. Um, the second thing that's important is around the handling and preparation of bodies. So again, in some faiths, um, there are individual people from the community who will be involved with actually preparing um, a body for burial. Um, and what's really important is that there is likely to be a continuing risk of infection from either body fluids or, or tissues where somebody has died with coronavirus. And therefore, new guidance has been issued just of yesterday, actually, the 31st of March, um, to make sure that um, anybody who is involved in the preparation of bodies knows that they must not only have access to and be wearing the personal protection equipment, but must be trained in how to use it. The, the last point I'd make on this, I think, is just the general restrictions. And I think this is going to be really tough on all sorts of people. Um, I think those who were involved, like the funeral industry, have basically been asked to make sure that they restrict the number of mourners who actually attend funerals and cremations. Um, and the number will vary, but by and large, the numbers have to be restricted so that everybody can maintain social distancing of at least two metres um, between each of the people that are attending. And in the most instance, it will only be members of the person's household or possibly very close family members who will be allowed to attend only when that person's household or when they don't have a household, for example, they're not living with anybody else, they don't have any close family members, only in those circumstances will a small number of friends be allowed to attend. So this is going to be tricky. Um, those who have symptoms of coronavirus or perhaps they're part of a household where someone has symptoms or if they, they are themselves vulnerable or they're shielding, they shouldn't be attending these funerals or cremations at all. Um, so it's going to be incredibly tough for people and it's going to be a real change um, in how we do our grieving process but the guidelines are there they have been drawn up in consultation with local authorities and with faith groups um, and uh, hopefully it will make things um, as easy as they can be in the circumstances. Thanks Daisy. Um, it's, it is a very very painful subject for a lot of people and this this virus in particular is making it an even harder process to deal with for a lot of people. Um, so but a couple of a couple of um, positive things on the horizon. So, free parking for NHS and social care workers has been agreed. Is that right? That's right. Um, and I was particularly pleased to see this. Um, as it happens, I had an email, I can't remember, it was last week or the week before now, but there was a, uh, a resident of St Albans contacted me, a woman who um, is an NHS worker and she commutes into London. And uh, she said, you know, because obviously she's trying to protect herself from coronavirus, she's now uh, driving into London rather than getting the train. And she said um, that obviously she's having to pay the congestion charge. So she said, is there anything I could do about this? So she asked me this on a Wednesday. And on the Thursday, I fired off a, a letter to the London mayor. And by Friday, he had announced um, that he was going to scrap the congestion um, uh, the congestion charges um, and uh, and then since then he's also announced that uh, that parking for NHS and um, key workers has been scrapped as well um, I have today written to Thameslink and the Department for Transport asking if station car park charges could also be dropped so we don't have an answer on that yet um, but I'll certainly keep you posted Brilliant. Thank you, Daisy. Um, also, Hearts Libraries, what's happening with the with the libraries? Yeah, well, I think we're seeing a lot of really lovely innovations, actually, in the way that a number of sort of community uh, facilities actually operate. And Hearts Libraries is one of these. So a lot of people uh, you know, use our libraries, not just for reading, but to access the internet, or they go there as a place to study um, after school or after college. Um, and because they can't open and they're not sort of distributing books, 
they've actually set up a new virtual reading group. Um, so you can find that on Facebook and uh, and join in with that. We're seeing you know other examples of that as well. So there's this wonderful group called the um, Electric Umbrella, who are doing a, a distance sing along on Facebook every week for adults with learning disabilities. So there's lots of really good community initiatives popping up all over the place. That's lovely. And it's great to hear about them. And I know there's other ones in St. Albans. We were talking to um, one volunteer organization, a COVID-19 volunteer organization that are just being inundated with offers of support and help. So, I mean, it's really it's really heartening. It is the nation is coming together and people are really pulling to to try and get through this as best they can. That's right. And talk to us about so the, Ocado. What about the opportunities there? Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of people obviously are in a difficult position because they are losing work or they've lost their jobs. Uh, some have been sort of furloughed, some have just lost their jobs outright. But actually, there are new jobs popping up all over the place as well. So two um, areas that have been drawn to my attention um, and I have no sort of financial or other interest in these two um, companies it's just that they, they contacted me one is Ocado as you know based in Hatfield uh, with the increased pressure on uh, for food deliveries and um, they are recruiting for delivery drivers and there's lots of other opportunities there as well so that's one sort of local thing and the other is a, a campaign called Feed the Nation um, now we are uh, we're short on seasonal workers in the UK uh, we often you know used to have uh, a lot of workers from Eastern Europe who come over just for a season for a few weeks or a couple of months to come and help pick fresh fruit and veg in our fields we now don't have those people coming over um, and it's causing a real problem because it means that we've got farmers who are growing fruit and veg but they've got nobody to pick it and therefore there's a real problem in actually getting food from um, uh, from field to fork and so if anybody is interested in working in that area then we have this group called Feed the Nation who are currently advertising for people to go and work um, on our farms. Great. And I know, Daisy, you're updating your Facebook page. You're on Twitter, letting constituents know the most up-to-date information. Is that the best way to keep up to date with all the developments? That's right. I mean, I'm getting about three to 400 emails a day at the moment. And um, every single email that we receive, we are reading. Um, but we can't at the moment actually reply to every single email, only the really urgent ones where there are sort of specific circumstances that mean that people are, are worried about very sort of immediate things. So um, generally speaking, I've got my newsletter. Where you can sign up for that, uh, daisycooper.org.uk. I've been sending out almost uh, almost daily um, updates on um, COVID-19 with links to various resources in the community, but also national advice as it's being updated as well. Um, I've been putting those same updates on my Facebook page um, and uh, trying to get little snippets of it out on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. But my, my, uh, my newsletter is the, the surefire way to get it delivered into your inbox. Fantastic. So uh, Daisy Cooper MP dot no, org dot UK if anybody wants to sign up for the newsletter. And would you so I, I suppose you'd like constituents ideally not to get in contact with anything that isn't COVID nineteen related right now until we kind of have a clearer picture of what's going on well I mean I'd ask people to exercise a little bit of judgment I mean sometimes we get sort of casework about you know potholes or hedges that haven't been cut and things like that if in all honesty you know our both our councils are now dealing with COVID-19 so they won't be able to deal with those kind of um sort of ordinary complaints that aren't urgent but people can contact us about other urgent issues so for example if somebody has a medical condition and they're worried about whether or not they can they're going to be able to access um treatment in a hospital whether somebody has an urgent 
universal credit um, claim or um, uh, an urgent immigration issue or something like that. You know, there are parts of life that will continue. Um, and so if, if it is an urgent thing or they have some kind of tribunal coming up and need some support for it, then we can continue to provide that kind of urgent support. But if it is more sort of run of the mill things, as I say, like um, you know, potholes or, or hedges, unless they're providing, unless they're kind of causing real danger, I would ask people just to hold back on those for now. Okay. And just before we let you go, Daisy, is there anything else? What What is your advice to constituents in St. Albans and the surrounding areas in in this this critical time? Oh, do you know what? I think I'd just say stay safe, um, be kind, uh, look after your mental as well as your physical health. Um, and thank you to everybody who's putting rainbows in their windows and their teddies too. And however tough things get, just remember that we we can and we will all get through this. Daisy Cooper, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Daisy, for taking the time to catch up with us on The Parent Show here on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Neve solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves solicitors, your complete legal solution. Now let's hear what David Bullock from Onslow St Audrey's had to say when he spoke to Cathy Weston the other day. So welcome to head teacher David Bullock, who's the head teacher of Onslow St Audrey's, a secondary school in Hertfordshire. How are you, Dave? Hi, I'm good, Cathy. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So we're we've got lots of questions for you today. First of all, I want to kick off talking about what it's been like being a head teacher in this particular environment at, at this time well big question it's been a challenge i'm not going to lie um more so for the fact that just to sort of the drip feed information we've received from the government and the dfe about what what is actually happening so what's probably well, i know we spoke about it off air but actually the first time head teachers heard about schools closing apart from to vulnerable and children of key workers was when we were watching it on telly so if you imagine all the head teachers didn't receive any information before. We hadn't received a letter to send to parents. We hadn't sent any information. We hadn't been prepped or informed at all. And and then we were. It was announced on TV uh, that that all the schools were closing, apart from which then led to no school closures in effect. So, so something I wanted to ask you is that are you basically now up and running for key workers that, with sort of man, you know looking after children teaching children that you've never met before no not at all so uh, given in germany they've been doing that for a number of weeks where they actually opened one school in a city or town and all the kids from key workers went to the same school uh, that's not happened hcc have asked schools to do that although from most of the feedback, lots of schools have rather said they'd rather teach their own students. It does open up, obviously, things like safeguarding issues if schools, children from other schools go to different schools or if you have an EHCP, you then have to share that EHC with the other school. A member of staff might not have taught them. There might be problems with relationships. There's a whole myriad of problems with trying to have students going to different schools which has probably not really been thought through particularly well by the government, I'd imagine. However, on Monday, I had 11 pupils in school, which was a mixture of key workers and vulnerables. Um, We then had six on Tuesday, five on Wednesday, 
four yesterday. I've got three today. Wow. So, but I, but I still have to have someone in the canteen. I still need to have someone on reception. I still need to have a member of senior team. And I, I still have a very, very skeletal sort of teaching staff as well. Plus the cleaners obviously have to come in because if the cleaners don't come in, they don't get paid. And, and how have you adjusted to the online learning demands that your existing pupils will require? Well, before we get onto that, I just kind of share what we've done as a school. So we've tried to be um, as creative as possible. So we've changed our whole school day really to minimise the amount of teachers that need to come in. Now, I know there's some stories of um, schools having all of their teaching staff in, for example, on Monday. So what we did, we changed the school day to three sessions. So there was an hour 40 uh, in the morning, then a half an hour break, then an hour 40 in the middle, then a half an hour break and then an hour 40 in the afternoon. And so one teacher comes in and the students work on uh, work that's been set by their teachers online in a computer room. Although, you know, yesterday we had a, an art session where they did African masks. We've had some PE sessions. We've currently got a media session this afternoon where the students are watching um, a film, for example. Um, and so there's one member of staff supervising that while I'm on the phone to you. There's one member of staff in reception and the canteen staff have all gone home. So the, the, the logistics of trying to keep a school open and then we've, we've not been informed whether if we don't have students, whether we still have to open. From what you're saying, there are some big issues around communicating with school leaders. Yeah, it's been appalling. Let's not let's not be, you know, silly about this. The, the communication has been through the, through watching it on TV. And whilst we've got a thank you letter from Gavin Williamson, which is really nice, um, there was no real pre-communication. So therefore, schools, every school was kind of making it up as they went on. Now, I know it's a unique situation, but surely the government and the DfE, before they made those announcements, should have really consulted and then disseminated what they discussed amongst all the schools so that you had a consistent message going out as it is you know all schools are working in isolation i'm quite lucky because i i work with a number of schools in Wellington hatfield we've obviously got a whatsapp group between the head teachers and we've been sharing information i'm part of a trust so i've been working with all of my trust at schools as well so i was on a conference call earlier with about 19 people where we're talking about hr we're talking about uh, funding finances staffing all all of those things it's a huge myriad of issues that you need to keep ticking over um, and like I said earlier the free school meals was a massive one I have 150 students with free school meals and the government didn't give us anything for a week so we offered parents they could come in and get a meal but then obviously that goes against the government guidelines we've then been in communication with Tesco's I know schools have been in conversation with with Morrison's so we've I, on almost on, yesterday I I had to pay £4,500 on a credit card for 150 £30 Tesco vouchers for my parents. Wow. So that's, that's just two weeks of free school meals. So if this goes on for 12 weeks, that's a huge amount of money. Plus also, even Tesco's, they emailed out the voucher, but you couldn't, you couldn't use the voucher online, so you had to use it in store. Even that's ridiculous. And Dave, listening to you talk, I'm wondering, is there is there anything the community can do to help you as a head teacher with these different challenges? Uh, yeah, stay at home. Follow the advice that's been given. Um, stay at home. And, and actually, I'm really thankful a lot of my parents have done that, which has been really helpful. And my staff have been amazing. The staff have been incredible coming in and delivering sessions. 
um, working with the young people we have. You know, Hearts Catering have been brilliant. Uh, the support staff, the teaching staff. So what it's what it's done is it, it has brought the school community together, and the parents have been very supportive. We'll get onto the home learning part in a second, but. But actually, you know, it's just a challenge because actually, you know, you look outside your window, there's still people walking around, there's still people, you know, playing football on the park and so on. There's too many people still think it's a holiday, you know, and that, that's yeah. the challenge because the government has been so um, so sort of vague with what they've said and this is sort of drip-fed in that, that people, you know, are out doing exercise because they've been told they can, but then people were told they could still go out. We weren't closing the pubs. So it's just been such a difficult, from for for my perspective, in terms of what we're communicating to our parents and our students. And you've had to obviously navigate through as best you can, albeit with colleagues' support. Yeah, of course. Like I've relied on the head teachers I know and worked very well with, you know, um, people online. You know, I'm friends with people like Vic Goddard, for example, who I've, I know, you know, you know, Vic's been brilliant. I've spoke to him a few times. Um, he's been reaching out to government to give us more support. How do we keep teachers safe in this sort of period and support staff safe? Because that's not even been communicated at all to schools. You know, we've not been issued with any masks or gloves or anything like that. You, we've just been told to stay two metres away. It's it's been um, it's been pretty poor, to be honest. And Dave, obviously, you must be concerned about your own health because if you get the virus, who's going to lead the school? I mean, what sort of contingencies do you think about in that regard? Well, obviously, I've got a, a really strong, um, supportive senior leadership team, and we've taken it in terms to be in for different days. However, three of my staff, uh, senior staff, are self isolating. Uh, one of my members of staff has. A child who's on the vulnerable register, so he can't come in for 12 weeks. So even if we come back to school, he can't come back for 12 weeks. You know, as I said, two others, so myself and two or three other senior member staff have been in. But I've got I've got members of staff whose children are vulnerable, so therefore I don't want them to come in. I want them to keep them safe. My wife uh, is off because she's got like a pre-existing sort of um, asthmatic condition. Uh, however, you know, she's fine, and my two kids are working from home as well. But it's uh, it, it, I've relied on the people around me. You know, I've got some amazing staff and, and they've all stepped up. Dave, in terms of your pupils whose exams were very hastily cancelled, what is what what has been your experience of their response to that step? How have students responded to GCSEs and A-level cancellations? It's a really weird, I think it was March the 18th when they said, you know, there was no exams. Now, bear in mind that that's eight weeks pretty much before the first exam starts. If I'm honest, there wasn't, if by saying that, a lot of students nationally would have downed tools, which is understandable because actually if you've been told there's no exams, what is the point of continuing to study? essentially, particularly if you're not studying those subjects at A-level, um, which is interesting. And also year nine students, they've already done their options. So if they've chose history, why would they continue to study geography? So all of those factors are kind of quite interesting. Um, students have been really good. Obviously, we've spoken to a lot of our students about the fact that they still need to complete coursework in case that's an evidence. We've not really been provided with much evidence about how they're going to assess, apart from saying it's teacher assessment. The frustration from my perspective is that I've been head teacher here for 18 months and my year 11 students are incredible. They've worked so hard for 18 months and we predicted the best results in the school's history, which would have been amazing and sort of, you know, recorded what we've done. And yet now um, we have no idea what 
necessarily they're going to ask for. So very much schools are in the dark at the moment, apart from teacher assessment. Now, if you go back then to you know 2015 when Michael Gove and decided to get rid of coursework and to make everything linear, this is what can happen because now you have no evidence of what's gone before because there's very few subjects that now use coursework um, or controlled assessments. So therefore, everything is based on the exam. Well, what do you do then if there's no exams? It, it, it's a kind of a ludicrous situation. And Dave, would you be recommending that students maintain some sort of work rhythm, study rhythm, as hard as that is? Because presumably they could do some resets potentially further down the line. Yeah, of course. I, I spoke to a friend of mine, Bruce, yesterday. His son's in year 11. I used to teach him when I used to work at Verilin. And we had a half an hour conversation because we were talking about, well, it's really now as an opportunity for you to do your preparation work for your A-levels. So, yes, of course, finished courses, finished coursework you've got, if there is any. However, you can do your wider reading. You, there's lots of work you can do. So this young man I was talking to is doing economics, geography and maths. So, I've, I've emailed him a few books he can read. Um, the head of geography at the previous school has sent him some information. Um, so he can use that really to develop wider reading around a subject, which will pay dividends when he does his A-levels and beyond. You know, he's a bright young man anyway. However, having that sort of opportunity to study now more widely and read more widely will really help him in the future. However, you've got to be really motivated to do that. And if you imagine that after sort of, you know, June the 10th, students in year 11 and year 13 would have had about 80 days off before they start A-levels. That is a real challenge. Jess, who's my who's head of sixth form at my school, assistant head. So what we're doing is we're doing a, a bridge impact for year 11, which we'll be sending out after Easter, which is work they can do in preparation for their A-levels. So we would usually set a summer project. Most schools would. We're just going to make that a little bit bigger and beefier so that students have got more work to do in their preparation um, to try to give them something because you have got to keep some routine otherwise you'd go crazy and Dave your children your own children are a, a little bit younger but than a level year GCSE year but and they're lucky to have two parents who are teachers I wouldn't say lucky I don't think they think that but um... uh, tell us what it's been like even for, for you and your wife as teachers in terms of in, installing a new homeschooling system yeah, so we last week the student my 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 son and daughter were supposed to go on a trip to Barcelona, a sports tour with their school, and obviously that's not happening. So we'll be getting a refund. So we use that money to buy them both a Chromebook. Um, wow. so they can work from home. Chromebooks sort of from Curry's sort of two hundred and fifty quid. And so we bought a Chromebook for them, which they had last week arrived actually on Friday. So they've both been using that to study at home. My son studies in a kitchen and my daughter studies in her. She's got a desk in her room. My wife studies uh, downstairs in the front room. There's a sort of we've set up a desk in there. I've generally been coming to work, obviously. And the, the, the schools have been setting work for them. They've been uh, sort of getting on with it, trying to, you know, keep in as much a routine as possible. My son's in year 10. So it's obviously vital for him for his GCSEs. My daughter's in year eight. And so she's been working hard as well. But we'll talk a little about about, you know, some sort of tips that we've been using, but actually that, that all parents can use, no doubt, in a moment. And Dave, I know that you're you've been doing physical exercise and sport a lot. Yeah. To what extent have you been making sure that your children have access to as much physical activity as possible? Well, you know, simple things in the garden, you know, generally, I, I actually wrote an extracurricular timetable, believe it or not, for them. <laughs> um, so I'm in charge of extracurricular. So 
so we're quite lucky. We've got like a netball post at home. We've got a football, you know, goal in the garden. A few weeks ago, I bought like a secondhand table tennis table, which is now in the front room, which my wife is thrilled with. We've got a <laughs> in the garage. So, and, and then, you know, we live on sort of some sort of next to some farmland and so on. So we can actually go for a run relatively easily. But we, we always play football every day. We always play table tennis. Um, got some chess and I'm trying to teach my daughter cribbage which is a bit weird, but my, um, so my granddad taught me, so I'm trying to teach her because we've got a bit of an opportunity to learn something different. Uh, she absolutely hates it, but I'm hoping to, but yeah, so we, we try to factor in time during a day where they can play, you know, still obviously PlayStation, but just minimizing that as much as possible. Just trying to keep the school day as much as possible. I was actually home yesterday for my first day of homeschool and I reckon I got told off more than they did. <laughs> I was kind of sent back to work in order to, um, allow everyone else to work at home. And one of the things you've mentioned, which I think parents are really struggling with, is we've been telling our children to have a balanced approach to screen time and then suddenly they have to be on the screen, you know, like five hours a day completing schoolwork. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to, to realise that this is new for schools relatively as well. Some schools will have Google Education, some schools will have online platforms that they'll use. But this teachers aren't IT gurus. We, I think sometimes maybe parents think the teachers know everything about doing this. This is totally new for us as well. You know, we've never had to do a, a literally move a school online. That is you know, it's it crazy. This The last week has been a massive learning curve for everyone. So I know parents will be at home now, some of them pulling their hair out. Some teachers have been as well, because teachers are good at interacting, building relationships, you know, teaching, as opposed to uploading resources and students kind of getting on with it. That's not really what teachers do. Um, teaching is about the interaction with young people, not necessarily just an online platform. And it's difficult. Obviously, there's things like Zoom and Microsoft Teams, all those things. Although there's safeguarding issues around that as well, about, you know, groups logging on, things with behaviour, online safety, all those, you know, things that are really important, even GDPR, sharing that sort of information. So there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes by schools um, to ensure that students are accessing work. Although I think I'm sure there's some parents out there will be like, we're getting too much work, I'm sure, and expecting parents to be teachers. And the reality is you're not. Well, I think, I think before we get to that point, something I wanted to say is that I think it's, it's been alarming for parents, the sort of the inconsistency between schools. So, you know, some of my friends will have children in three different schools. One, one school immediately went to online learning and everything was seamless. Another school doesn't know what they're doing. Another school is experimenting with different platforms. I think we've been taken aback by the inconsistency. We sort of thought somewhere there would be some kind of overarching leadership in terms of which online platforms would work best. Yeah, but if you imagine all schools use something different. So some schools use Show My Homework, some schools use Google Education, some schools use, uh, like my school, Go For Schools. They're not necessarily set up to teach the whole thing online. They're, yeah. they're, yeah. they're set up for homeworks or maybe some activities or maybe some conference calls, etc. They're not necessarily meant to, you know, a whole school is moving online. That's that's a huge expanse. If you imagine this is this happened on 
I think the um, the key worker list came out about 12.30 at night on the Thursday, on Friday morning. So we're less than a week in. We had the weekend. And so staff have had four or five days at the moment to get their head around this. Plus, if you imagine, if teachers are working from home, they've got their own families at home. Plus, they might be ill as well or self-isolating or they might have the virus. So the difference, the inconsistency is because there's inconsistency in everything. Some of the students might be ill. Some of the parents might be ill. Some of the parents might have, like you said, three kids in three different settings at different age groups and are trying to juggle home life, school, um, their own health, their family. Like this is a unique situation. It's not a, a quick fix. This is this is going to take a while, and, and I, I know I sent you some information, which I hopefully you can share, but the, the, the most important thing is if you are a parent, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, and also, don't be too hard on your school because your school are working it out as they go as well. We're, we're learning. I've had a, a conference call today with my um, leadership team uh, on Microsoft Teams. We've never done that before. It was great fun, and we've got lots through it. An hour before that, I had a a conference call with 13 people through my trust on Microsoft Teams. So these are all new things that we've never done before as well. So so it is it's a challenge for everyone. You know, schools don't have all the answers, you know, and we have certainly haven't been given many answers by the government. And I think that you've mentioned parents, you know, giving themselves a break. Let's let's talk about, you know, this relationship between teachers and parents. Parents might be sent home things to get their teenager to do. That's easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the parts I said is that the, 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 what I would say to parents is don't try and replicate school at home. Don't do try to do five periods or six periods with a break and a lunch and so on. You, you can't do everything. Students are going to struggle. You can't sit there for an hour. A student's very rarely, like my son yesterday had an assembly sent home for him to listen to. Um, <laughs> and, and I listened to it and I was like, it's a great idea. However, I don't know whether that's the most important thing. That 20 minutes might have been better served by him playing football in the garden or going to listen to music or just chilling out. But, you know, yeah, my certainly my two kids, they get up eight o'clock. They're, they're by, sat on their computer by about quarter to nine and then they start working at nine. But then we factor in regular breaks and breakfast and so on. And, you know, my son certainly has had a bit of anxiety because trying to keep up, um, he's found that quite difficult. And so we fed back to the school and just said that, you know, can you just ease back a little bit? But obviously schools, it's difficult to know how, how much students are going to work. You know, I had an English lesson the other day in my year eight class. I've, I've set a PowerPoint with some activities to do. And I said, that any problems, drop me an email. Um, and none of them have. So I can only take it they're doing OK. Well, as you suggest, everyone is learning. And I think we should all give ourselves a, a, a massive pat on the back just for getting through the week. And I think I'm certainly taking it. I take what I want to take from what I'm told to do with my children at home. And I'm making it as long as my children are not feeling anxious, they're not stressed, they're feeling okay. And I, we, we can just pick and choose. And I think that's the best that we can hope for. Yeah, like there's, there's different approaches. There's, um, I think it's, it's called uh, Avonmouth in Bournemouth. And what they've done for Key Stage 3 is they've done like a, a pick and mix for Key Stage 3. And then students can choose what they want to study from the selection. So they can study whatever they want, which I quite like. We're having a look at that. Then key stage, you know, year 10, generally 
there's there's some quite a lot of debate about you shouldn't really be you know introducing new topics you should be consolidating what you've learned because actually the, the difference will be so vast like if you imagine if you don't have a computer if you're a disadvantaged people for example the gap will be so wide by the time we come back it, it'll be wide and it already is because the students who have and the students who don't have are going to be exposed now more than ever and so sometimes it's really about consolidating learning as opposed to learning new things. Um, and, th and that might be quite an important part for parents. I think that's a brilliant point because it's easier for me to go through my son's old textbooks with him and just make sure he he can tell me what he learned or what he knows. And I think just going over things is a lovely and easier thing for parents potentially to uh, start doing rather than, you know, uh, initiating a new topic. Yeah, my maps of previous topics with keywords and definitions, those sort of things are really good. What I was going to do, I was going to signpost, there's a couple of really good websites that parents might be interested in. One of them is called Twinkle. Yeah. Um, Twinkle is a, it's free for a month um, and it is just filled with resources you can download for nothing um, and it's fantastic like really good um, all subjects all key stages that's really good things like if you log on if you go onto the TES which is teaching educate times educational supplement you can go into the resources bank you can join up create an account for free and you can search anything and you can just download them you may have to pay a couple of quid for some bits and bobs but there's a lot of free resources and you can just download them to, to for your children to use revision materials topics research activities all those sort of things so the thing is from a parent's perspective we've been inundated with a tidal wave of, of free resources and options but i think I think it's a good idea. I'd love to hear your view on it. That we, you know, I know my year six son is studying Edward II. So I need to look around, twinkle, Tez, look around four things on Edward II. So be very specific. Otherwise, yes. nothing will get done. Or, or download, go, let him watch horrible histories. Yeah, brilliant idea. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to always be writing. So, um, for example, I spoke yesterday to the lad in year 11. Simon Reeve did this brilliant program on iPlayer called The Americas, where he travels from Alaska all the way through America, Northern America, South America. And there are about six, I think, hour episodes. Now, not being funny, you could study that for geography. You could watch one of those every couple of days. That, that would take up then three or four weeks. And that would be a geography section. You could watch horrible histories. You could, you know, you could watch Romeo and Juliet if you're doing English. You can watch, you know, Christmas Carol at Disney. You can watch Inspector Calls on telly. You know, 2015 is a good BBC version. There's loads of things that you don't necessarily have to always be writing. There's audio books. There's lots of things they can do. Like, bear in mind, they would always have had reading during the day. So let them have half hour just reading, just sit in the sun and have a read, you know, or let them have half an hour with some music on. You've just got to kind of do chunks little chunks and not necessarily think that it's got to be academic all the time because the kids will burn out because this is not going to end in a couple of weeks and dave what you're describing is a sort of diversity of resources like mix it up a bit loads of things to listen to movement doing fun stuff in the garden a little bit of this little bit of that it's quite interesting because there was a there's a report I read today which was about making sure kids are doing studying, not following celebrity, you know, workouts, whatever. I think that's a load of old rubbish. 
there's loads of really great stuff out there. There's, there's, you know, BBC, Netflix are putting more educational programs out. You know, have a look at those, watch them. Twitter is a great resource because Twitter can direct you to certain things. Um, I think I tweeted yesterday there was a, a whole week of, of different programs that, that people were doing. You know, make sure you've got time in there where you can do some cooking and baking together. You know, make sure you play some games, some board games together. All those sort of things. It, it, it sounds weird to come from a head teacher, but it can't all be study, study, study. You'll go crazy. Now, Dave, you mentioned time frames and said that this may not be over soon. I'm scared to ask, but, you know, how do you think, is it true that a lot of children may not be back in school until September? I think that's very, very possible. I think that's highly possible. Um, so if you imagine, they reckon that April and May are going to be the worst months for this, so it's going to get worse. So then, then we're into June and we've got half term. So we'll come back and we'll have six weeks and then it's end of the summer. The, the problem you have is obviously things like year six transition days and evenings for parents, induction for new staff, inset days for staff. There's, there's so many things, recruitment, um, HR issues. Um, it, you know, if a member of staff resigns now, you know, how do I interview someone? If, they, if they're ill, how can they come in? I've actually interviewed someone today um, and they've come in and we had to sit all two metres apart in my office um, and interview. It was the most surreal thing I've ever done. Do you know what? I mean, you are so resilient and the community owes a, uh, you know, we should have a round of applause in St Albans and surrounding areas for head teachers because your job sounds so hard at the moment. I'm in, I'm in awe. Yeah, what I'd say is I think by the very nature, teachers are pretty resilient characters and this is just another challenge. Um, if you've worked in education long enough, as you know, it's a pretty challenging environment to work in, not necessarily because of the young people, because of the, the directives we get given. So you're constantly sort of playing catch up. You're constantly adapting and changing. Um, this is another example of it. And, and what you tend to find is people are fantastic at doing that, adapting and what you need is just everyone to sort of join in and get involved. And I've been very lucky, and I know that's the same in lots of schools, where staff have been brilliant and just got on with it. And it's just another hurdle for us to climb, you know. And, and my young people, we've done a lot of stuff on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook to help. And everyone's everyone's getting involved. And that's that's really what you want. It's, it's, you know, out, out of this may come some positives, I feel. And in fact, I think they'll have to reform what education is because there's no way you can have this linear system where you've got this terminal set of exams because it doesn't work in situations like this. I would much prefer a modular approach where students had a set of exams or assessments, you know, all the way through year 10, 11 and year 12 and 13. And then you've, you can sort of, you've got a running commentary of how they're getting on. That would make a huge difference. That's right. I mean, as you've described, the system isn't flexible enough to reflect the sort of the unpredictability of life. Absolutely. And also, you know, coursework helps a number of people who do certain courses that, you know, when I was at school, for example, I was very good at essays and writing essays. I was awful at exams. So by very nature, if you've got a range of different ways of assessing young people, such as presentations or online or coursework or essays or exams, if you have a, a sort of a range of ways of assessing, you get a much it's much easier to then find out how they're doing across the board as opposed to just an exam, which fundamentally is a memory test. Dave, thinking about the future and the day when this ends, this crisis ends, are you 
secretly savoring all those lovely things that you're going to do afterwards? <laughs> you know, are you thinking about the opportunities and the, the experiences you normally enjoy? Out, I know you love sport, for example. You know, are you keeping a list of things that you can't wait to do? Well, one of them I can't wait. I, I, I'm a Tottenham fan, so this is a, a pleasure that I don't have to go and watch them, if I'm honest. <laughs> The last few games I went to watch were horrendous. So I was I was begging to be self-isolated. But um, I suppose it, the hardest thing, you know, even for me, like, you know, I haven't seen my mum for two or three weeks because she's 70 and got one lung. So I don't know when I'm going to see her again. So I'm looking forward to seeing her. And the people that we care about, we can't see. You know, and I'm missing some of my friends that I don't see and people I care about. And that's that's the thing that I, I'm sort of struggling with myself personally. But, you know, what with FaceTime and um, Microsoft Teams and things like that, that is helping, but it's not the same, is it? And I think that's the thing that, that we all miss when it comes to it. It's not the going out to pubs and stuff. It's just being around the people we care about. Yeah, well, I definitely miss going to the pub and being around friends. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's just highlighted the things that we normally took for granted and value so much now. Absolutely. Uh, you know, listen, I love coming to work. You know that. I, I really enjoy the job I have. And I'm I'm fortunate. To, I feel fortunate to have the job I have. And, and actually coming to work, I'm, I'm still coming in a lot of the time and, and, and enjoying it. But it's just not the same. I, it's not the same being a virtual head teacher because I love the the day-to-day sort of challenges of everything that comes about it. So that's that's tough. Well, well done on keeping your chin up. Well done on keeping a school running. And good luck for the rest of our uh, hiatus at home. Yeah, no problem. Now, I did send you that um, sheet. Um, maybe that you might want to put that on your, on your sort of um, website just to share with parents. It might help. Lovely. So is that our, what, did you just send me your extracurricular timetable? No, I've I've sent you some tips for homeschooling for parents. So there's ten tips which I've I've pulled from a few different sources just to try and help. Well, that's super kind of you to take time to talk to us, uh, given how busy you are. Thanks so much, Dave Bullock. No worries. Thanks a lot. A really fascinating insight into what schools are going through there. I'm sure we can all sympathise with David and all the head teachers and teachers throughout the country. Well, that's it from the Parent Show for this week. A big thank you to our guests, Daisy Cooper MP and David Bullock. And we hope you got some useful information from our guests. Lydia, Cathy, Seema and Steve return next week with some observations on homeschooling and getting some perspectives on the coronavirus situation from some people living abroad. Bye for now and tune in next week. Neve solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution.